0: Welcome to Season 3, Episode 3 of The Fix, giving you education, solutions, and troubleshooting for the baseball pitcher, featuring pitching motion expert Angel Borelli. I am your host, Joe Janish. I'm a recovering pitching coach and also founder of FixingPitchers.com. Now this episode is being recorded on April 21st, 2016, so some of the issues we're tackling are related to what's happening right now in the moment. So it may seem like old news by the time you hear this, but I can assure you that the material and lessons you learn are timeless and you can apply them anytime. If you are a new listener, you should be aware that Angel has a master's degree in exercise science. Now, what that means is you have to have a specialization in a lot of different areas, including exercise physiology, anatomy and structural kinesiology, biomechanics, sports medicine, sports psychology, and motor control. Now Angel has applied her expertise in all of these areas toward helping pitchers from little leagues through the big leagues for the past 20 years. And just to be clear, she is not a pitching coach and she doesn't pretend to be one. Rather, she is a scientist focused specifically on the pitching motion and is out on the field working with pitchers every day. So let's get started, Angel, welcome.
1: Hi Joe, how are you doing today?
0: I'm doing fabulous. Great. Uh, unfortunately, there are a couple pitchers who are not doing so fabulous uh, lately. Uh, I wanted to start off with Jacob Degrom of the New York Mets. He's he's been uh, one heck of a pitcher for the Mets the last couple years. He recently went on the disabled list with a lat strain, and you know I've I've been looking into this. He he was having some. Uh, I think it was he had back stiffness during the spring. During his spring starts, uh, he had a, a couple different, he had a couple st- like stops and starts during the spring and he actually was was off, I think he missed about 10 days with a stiff back and so he didn't really get his full his full spring in, but when he did pitch, he was only throwing in around the 90s, like 90-91 and this is a pitcher who last year was averaging 95 to 97 miles an hour and Last year was also one of the one of his uh, biggest seasons as far as volume of innings. He previously had only thrown about 100, 184 innings as a professional. And then last year he threw, I think, about 215. And that included some postseason work he pitched in the World Series. He had a couple issues toward the end of the year where it seemed like he was tiring out, so that the Mets had him uh, miss a couple starts. He, I think he missed one or two starts in September. And then when he pitched in the World Series, he definitely was not himself. He was definitely, he looked like he was worn down. His velocity really wasn't there. But um, fast forward to this year, uh, he's had, a, he had this stiff back, but it didn't seem to affect him as far as being the, uh, you know, one of the Mets top starters. He, he made his first start of the year through six innings, but had to come out because he had uh, some issues with his lat and it turned out he had a lat stream. And I know in the past that we've had some discussions about lat strains and how they can affect pitching. But you know, when I looked at this and I, I checked out the different things that the Mets manager was saying in the front office and this and that, the thing they kept pointing to was Degrom's workload last year. They kept saying, "Oh, he had he had such a big workload last year. You know, it was it was an, an, like thirty innings more than he'd ever pitched before." And what they were saying they were explaining that his velocity was down during the spring because of his workload. They said he he still needed to kind of recover from the big workload of last year. And they said that the lat strain had absolutely nothing to do with the velocity drop. And I know that, you know, we've talked about this before and I thought that was a little curious. So I wanted to get your take on whether you think the lat strain had something to do with his velocity and and if there's something that Jacob can do to get this issue fixed because he is going to be pitching this weekend from what I understand. And we'll be taking a look at what his velocity is then and how he pitches. But I wanted to get your take.
1: Okay. Well, I think before I talk about the last year and I want to talk about this comment about last year, uh, last year was last year. We're talking October. We're talking now it's April. Come on. A pitcher has enough time to recover his body and get himself back in shape for spring training. I think that that's a very strange comment. I mean, we all know that even when we overwork or we miss sleep or whatever, we eventually recover from it. It doesn't hang around for that long unless something is really wrong. But this should have been determined well before he even started in the game in the spring. So I'm not buying that. And I think that what why I don't like comments like that is it can blind you to looking to continuing to look for a solution. And so that to me, if you're going to say, well, he's burned out from uh, last year and now he's starting this year. Well, that means he's starting out behind the eight ball and he's certainly not going to catch up during the season if he wasn't able to catch up in the offseason. So that statement doesn't make sense. But again, we don't know why these guys make these statements. They could be saying it because maybe they're t- trying to throw off, you know, looking at the, for the public to be looking at him in a certain way. But that's kind of a crazy statement. Statement. And I wouldn't want anybody out there thinking that a player who has a season six months prior that ends, and he's got six months of an off-season, that, he, that he's still going to be carrying around his fatigue. If he is, something's wrong. Now, uh, the comment about the lat strain, so first of all, whenever a pitcher goes, and I really want parents to hear this, whenever there's an injury, the very first thing that I do, the way I investigate a problem, is I start to connect dots. You know, I ask the pitcher questions, what pitch was he throwing when he felt something was it before or after the inning? But So let's say we've got a pitcher that comes out. He gets diagnosed immediately by the trainer. And in this case, it's a lat strain. So the first thing I'm going to do if they call me in on the project or when I get a call from a pitcher and he says, I just came out of a game. The trainer said it's a lat strain. Can you help? The first thing I'm going to do is take a look at his body and his mechanics to see if I can connect any dots in anything that he's doing that could cause the lat to be under any kind of unusual stress. Now the fact that his velocity went down and they made the comment it has nothing to do with the lat is insane because the lat is the major accelerator of the shoulder joint along with the chest. Now I know it seems counterintuitive because the lat everybody knows is in the back, but it wraps around and inserts at a part of the uh, upper arm. And it actually is an internal rotator, just like the chest is an internal rotation is the action at the shoulder that creates velocity. So here's this poor pitcher who's got his velocity down and now a lat strain. And they're characterizing this like they're not related. No, I think that if a pitcher hears, hey, you're, guess why your velocity's down? You just, stranger, major accelerator. You've got that picture 50% back on the right page again. So I think little errors like that are a problem. Joe, you know what I mean when I say the lat's a major accelerator. We've talked about that before, haven't we?
0: Yeah, we have talked about it a couple of times. That's why I was a little surprised when I heard their explanation. Yeah. I, I, I thought that you know, you you've been teaching me how to connect the dots and it, it seemed to me that the velocity issue would be directly related yeah. to the lab. So,
1: so investigating it the way I would, and I'll make this short, uh, you know, Joe sent, sent me 11, uh, as you know, Joe, you sent me 11, uh, still shots, uh, so that I could become familiar. And, um, and of course you can't tell everything from still shots, but they were such good views and they were such great shots. I was able to see it. And number one, if I'm looking at 11 different, uh, uh views of a picture. uh, 11 different uh, still shots, and I see two different release points, that's the first thing I'm seeing is, whoa, what's going on here that's inconsistent? Okay, so then I continue to look, and the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go, now let me look just at the lat. The lat has a number of functions that it performs, and in the pitching motion, it performs the internal rotation part, the acceleration part. Well, That muscle, even though that's what it does, it also has other things it does. And you don't want it to be strained doing those other things or even being used doing those other things. Because if, they, if it is being used, then it's not going to be available for its main job, which is accelerating. And there is an action at the shoulder. And for those of you out there who do analysis, etc., cetera, it's called horizontal abduction. And it's what you guys might see when you look at a picture and it looks like his elbow is way behind his shoulder line. And it has to do with that angle of how far the shoulder is pulled, uh, the upper arm is pulled behind the shoulder line when the pitcher is striding out. So we're talking about at the very beginning of the motion. First of all, not only is he way outside of the boundaries of what ASMI recommends for the exact angle that you should not exceed, but he has four different ranges for different positions, they're all outside the boundary, some worse than another. And so this right away tells you, okay, his accelerator, his accelerator muscle is injured. He's got mechanics that match a possible stress at the level of that muscle. And he's got velocity going down. And he's got two different release points. This is where you start this is where you start. And what I would like to see major leagues do is start with this, which gives the pitcher so much more confidence and ability to be able to get back in the game when someone says, oh, look at this and put your arm here instead. And we're talking tiny adjustments. And when you've got someone in pain from something they're doing, if you make an adjustment half an inch this way or that way, they're so relieved from the pain and the stress, they feel it right away. You're not selling them something they don't want. This makes things easier. So for this guy here, his problems are really motion related. And let's just put it this way. Maybe there is something else going on, but this is where fixing should start. It should start with the level of where the joints and muscles are producing the motion and where you're looking to be sure that that injury didn't or did happen because of misuse of one of those joints or muscles. So this is the way that I would approach investigating this problem. And if he comes back and all they did was heal his strain, and of course, all he's done is play some catch and then a little bit of a bullpen. If he starts this weekend and he still got inconsistent release point and extreme horizontal abduction way beyond the, the safety uh, measures of that shoulder, that injury can recur again. But unless you re- visit it from the base level, you can't really solve the problem. And this is the direction I would like to see major leagues go in trying to help these guys uh, keep their jobs. So I think it will be fun to watch this weekend.
0: Thanks, Angel. You know, I, I agree with you. I, I think that part of the problem is that the major league teams just don't have the proper personnel to, you know, analyze this and understand really what's happening, that the, the pitching coaches shouldn't really be tasked with trying to figure some of this these things out because it's, it's over their head. And if that's not any disrespect to the to the pitching coaches. They, they don't have, you know, the background and in, in the body and body movement that people like you have. And I think it's it's kind of unfair that they're put in that situation.
1: Yeah, I, I I completely agree. And you know, I've dedicated my life to being there for pitchers, so that they keep their jobs and so that they have hope, and uh, they never feel like they don't know what's going on with their body.
0: You know, I I have a couple of questions. Do you think that Jacob's varied release points have something to do with pain? Could he be like, could his body be adjusting or reacting to pain that he was having while he was changing his mechanics or changing his delivery? Well,
1: the lat muscle specifically, the way that that muscle works in uh, delivery is through internal rotation. When you see a a release point that's changing, he's getting less internal in in the way he's changing, which is to drop his release point. To he's he some of them. Remember that one looked almost sidearm that we looked at. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah. that is a shoulder that's not working as much. His elbow is working more than his shoulder, but at the level of the shoulders where he's starting to show some strain. Whenever you have tissue, and he's a good pitcher, and when and and we see that he's done it normally in the past, we never really know for sure. But one thing we know for sure is a pitcher owns his release point. And when that starts to change, that means something's changing at the level of the shoulder and the upper back. And, of course, the lat crosses the shoulder. Just in anatomy, it does tons of different things. Uh, so his mechanics have to be looked at. But yeah, absolutely, it is a shoulder muscle. When you have a different release point, that's produced by different ways the shoulder's working. We want the shoulder to work the same way every time. And, uh, you know, you pitching coaches say this all the time, have everything look the same. When you take that and then you put it into a different length or a different position, yes, you can get stress from it. So he's got a few things going on. The other thing is this other error I talked about. When you're doing something to excess, you're pulling an arm way behind you or a shoulder way behind you. That creates a level of fatigue because it's outside of the angle of what is recommended as being normal. So when you're pulling it way out, you're getting fatigued. It's just like if you've got a job where you're bending over one day or you're having to squat down one day and you're not used to doing that. The next day, your thighs are going to be sore. Well, if he's pulling himself that much and he's fatiguing that much, then you've got a lowered release point, which in my opinion is showing a fatigued shoulder. That's where you're getting the double whammy. And that is how they're connected. So that's a great question, Joe.
0: And I have another question. If he came into spring training throwing only 91, 92, and he's normally a guy who can throw, you know, 97 or more, can we assume that this? was an injury that he may have suffered late last year and just didn't say anything or just didn't think it was that big a deal. And now it's just carried over and, or is that too much of an assumption?
1: Yeah, I think it's too much. I don't think pitchers, uh, I, first of all, if he had something wrong, he would have gone to his own people in six months to get it fixed, okay? I mean, this is his job, so he's going to protect it. So especially if it's at the end of the season. Secondly, my uh, what I was thinking is if he comes into spring training and his velocity's down, you know, the major leagues needs to have somebody on their staff like somebody like myself or someone who can look at the quality of his pitching motion and say, what? the heck's going on here? Because let's say, and we say this every year, most injuries occur at the beginning of the season. This should not have happened. They should have had a heads up on this and they should have been looking at that drop in velocity and investigating this. And so who knows why this happened? And that's why I worry about the statement, oh, he's fatigued from last year, because once you think that, you stop looking. And no, there's a reason for all this. And it can just be that he started to make some adjustments with his mechanics or somebody told him to do something and it caused a problem here and there. Without seeing his full motion, I can't say why this problem happened, but if pitchers would understand that you can't, many times you come back to the season and you'll have a pitching coach that'll say, hey, you know, I want you to lift your leg higher or I want you to push harder off the rubber. I want you to do this. I want you to do that because that's kind of their job what people don't get is if you do one thing it's going to change a lot of other things so he may have come back with altering one little thing and before you know it he's got this but seeing a pitcher's velocity drop like that particularly after an off season either he wasn't conditioned correctly prior to the spring training or something's changed in his mechanics and i would be on that immediately So to avoid him not having a good season, but moreover, to avoid him getting injured. Thank you. Let's
0: move on to our our other subject today. Uh, Another pitcher having some issues. Andrew Heaney of the Angels. He's a a left-handed pitcher, a younger guy, 24 years old. He was one of the top pitchers in, in all of college baseball in 2012. He was a, a number one draft pick of the Marlins. Uh, they traded him for D Gordon, who's now an all-star second baseman. And then he was traded again to the Angels. He's, he really just rocketed right through the minor leagues, made his major league debut fairly early. Last year was his first uh, half season in the major leagues. He did very well. There were great expectations for him this year. He not only made the the Angels' starting rotation in spring training, but he was named the number two starter, which is a pretty big deal for a guy really going into his first big league year. And he pitched in his first his first uh major league game, uh, well his first major league game of this season in uh, 2016, back on I think it was April 5th, and he had to be taken out because by the sixth inning his velocity had dropped down from 92 down to about 88 and he was complaining of forearm tightness and they, they took him out of the game. They shut him down. They got, they got an MRI done and the MRI disclosed that he had um, a flexor strain. And again, they shut him down for a while. Then uh, he started playing catch. Uh, But he, I think he was playing catch for a few days and he just wasn't getting any better. He couldn't uh, move on to long toss which was one of the one of the things that uh, his his trainer wanted him to do or his manager whoever and now he's been shut down again because uh, it's been said that he's he's hit a plateau in his comeback from this from this injury and it's it's kind of upsetting because here, here's a young guy who you know he threw 95 up to 97 miles an hour now he's down to 92 and then down to 88 and he has this forearm issue and it doesn't seem to be going away I believe that the main thing was that he he wasn't able to move beyond just playing catch. And now he's in a situation where they're not sure what to do. They're not sure how this is going to heal. I sent you some photos of him as well to see if you could see anything in his motion. Maybe something that could be causing that elbow issue. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about what you found in Andrew Heaney.
1: Well, you know, when I looked at his photos and I read the story, this is one of these things that I hate hearing. Here he is in college, throwing 95, 97, and now he's in major leagues. His velocity's down. And we talk about this all the time. We go, well, what actually happens to these guys? They should be throwing as hard and even doing better. So this is really a sad story. But again, the way I would investigate it is do exactly what I did. You sent me, first thing is you send me photos. I take a look. And the first thing I'm looking for is, okay, he's got a flexor pronator mass strain. And everyone knows, if you listen to me, that I'm all over this thing with the forearm. We've got to keep the forearm range of motion. Correct. And you've got to make sure that it stays healthy because the next thing that does happen is the UCL will blow. So he's in trouble right now with an injury and his body isn't letting him throw. Uh, it's hurting. And that's kind of good unless they get on top of the problem. So the first thing I'm going to be looking for is I'm going to be looking at shoulder and elbow mechanics to see is there anything obvious here. And really, that's all you do. If whatever if he says his knee hurts, I'm going to look at the lower body mechanics. I'm just generally going to look to first see is everything where it's supposed to be. When it's supposed to be there, that's like number one, because if something isn't in the right place at the right time, especially with the arm, you are going to be making up for it. And then the arm has stresses at unusual times, and it ends up having to have more stress towards the end of the motion. And so you can end up with problems. And of course, the very first thing I saw is his arm is late. And that is using baseball language, but his shoulder, his forearm, his shoulder is not rotated enough when his front foot lands. And his forearm is literally parallel or hanging perpendicular down towards the ground. And not only is it late, but in just the number of photos you sent me, it was late in a number of different ways at a number on a number of different pitches, meaning he's not only late, he's got an inconsistent lateness, which tells me that he doesn't have a style of being late. He doesn't have like, this is where he's at every time, it's just his style, even though we don't like it. He His shoulder is not knowing where to go or for some reason it's not getting to where it needs to get. And I can tell you, if he threw over 95, his arm was in the right place when that front foot lands because that's what guys who throw over 95 do. I don't care how funky they look getting there. I don't care how funky they look at acceleration, but when their arm is, when their front foot touches down, that arm is in that right place because it allows the shoulder to get that pre-stretch that you need to be able to accelerate the ball at those high rates. So he's showing that to me. So when I continued to look, Uh, at um, the photos, I said, well, let me see if I can find one where his arm is actually where it should be when the foot lands. But of course, we know it'll be there at a later time in the motion. And I found the most beautiful picture of him with his arm in the perfect place, which tells me as an analytical kinesiologist, troubleshooting mechanics, that he knows how to do everything He's just not doing it at the right time. So his this is a timing problem. It's not a, you don't know how to get this angle problem. It's a, you don't know how to get this angle soon enough problem. So when I looked at that photo, his lower body, both his hips were rotated completely towards the plate. Meaning he was at the f- complete finish of his lower body rotation, when his arm finally got to the right place and it was it still hadn't rotated around so there i was seeing this incredible separation that he still has he's still an over 95 mile an hour pitcher but his timing is really off now when you see that error in a pitcher and coaches please hear this when you see the error in a pitcher that his arm is not in the right place when that foot lands the good news is there's nothing wrong with his motion during the important parts of the the acceleration, etc. So don't go touching his arm. Take a look at how he's coming out of the glove and raising his arms up to what we call the T position or both shoulders are, you know, both arms are at shoulder height. His problem is happening at the most uninvasive time of the motion, and it possibly and usually has something to do with some crazy way that the pitcher's coming out of his glove, and all of a sudden, it's taking too long for his arms to get in the right position. So when you see this problem, don't touch the arm. Don't touch his acceleration. Don't touch his wonderful rotation. Go back to when he's on balance. And watch him lower his arms, lower his leg, and see if he comes up to the position in a direct way. Or is he going around the block before he pulls the car into the garage? I say this all the time. If your arms have to come straight up to shoulder height, and they're not getting there at the right time, look at how you're getting there. So the good news for Andrew is that he has a timing issue. Now, the way that you can figure out, is this going to solve his pain? is you just put him in a stride position, put his arm where you want it. You put him at 30 feet to a net and you say, throw the ball. And if he's not hurting, then you know, wow, then his forearm is also going through some kind of stress at the beginning of this. And by handling this problem, you've handled the pain. And I can tell you when the arm is late, and the forearm is in, the whole arm is in an incorrect position, it's usually because of some action out of the glove and it's usually an elbow action that's incorrect. And whenever you have an elbow doing something strange, the forearm rotates in a strange way And then you start getting this stress. So I couldn't definitively tell you why he has this timing problem. I would have to see him coming out of the glove. And you could tell it in a second. Because if the problem's occurring right as his foot touches down, then it's a no-brainer that you have to look at all the parts of the motion that occur first. And coaches, this is something so important. That arm, where it needs to be when that foot touches down, is one of the most critical features. And the good news about problems in this part of the motion are you don't really have to mess with what makes the pitcher who he is. You go back to just the beginning, the knee lift, the handbrake, the separation, you clean that up and you can resolve that timing problem and usually get rid of the forearm problem, assuming that the damage is not uh, been done already.
0: Well, that that sounds like it's a fairly simple fix, and it sounds like it's good news for for um, Andrew Heaney. You know, I I was thinking about what you were you were talking about how a pitcher's having a problem with his knee. He, you know, I'll, I'll look you know at his lower half and I'll look at what's going on. It just hit me you know the other day I was riding my bicycle and my knee was bothering me, and I thought, gee whiz, why is my knee bothering me? And the first thing I did was I checked my seat height, and the seat was too low. And it's like the same kind of kind of thing like you don't look at your knee and say well why is my knee bothering me there's something wrong with my knee you kind of have to like go backward and figure out what's happening that's causing the pain in the first place and usually you have to look in sometimes you have to look in a different spot and for me it was all right that my seat height was too low so i just changed that and everything's fine and it was a simple fix and and you know this is a similarly simple fix as long as it's identified and it can be corrected now if andrew is still having trouble throwing from a mound after he plays catch maybe it's possible that he's not he hasn't been able to correct this timing issue because the, I would think that the timing is still off, that he'd be aggravating the forearm even more.
1: Yeah, well, somebody has to identify this for him. Here's the problem with situations that, to me, are simple. And, you know, I do this all day long, so there isn't a problem ever that comes to me and I go, oh, no, oh, you poor pitcher. I'm, like, happy for Andrew because he's doing everything right. He's just not doing it at the right time. And I would want the correction that goes to him to be of that level. Like Andrew, no, we don't have to change everything you're doing. And you don't have to worry about this or that. Let's fix this. And that is where it would have to start. Now, if he's got some underlying pathology that's already occurred, I don't care what you do, it's not going to help that but you can't even go there just like you you couldn't you you didn't want to ride your bike to the orthopedic surgeon until you had checked out some of the simple stuff like oh wow is my seat too low okay so you have to go back to the body and the way it's moving to eliminate it as the cause and regardless if it's the cause it needs to get fixed anyway and particularly when he has a history now, he's got a history of a little forearm problem, well, he in the future has to have pretty good elbow and shoulder mechanics or that thing's going to rear its ugly head because the forearm is a thick muscle group and it doesn't forget very easily. It's a, it's a When you have problems with the forearm, it can take a long time to feel good again. So he needs to get the right information and what I... What I worry about is somebody like this at this level going, what the heck just happened to me? And nobody's simplifying it for him in this way. You have to start at, at step one. So if he is continuing to have pain, and this is true for all problems, and this is what I say, if you get a problem and you don't go to the source and take a look at the body and you return to throwing, throwing the way you threw when you got the problem you're going to have the problem again. And what we see in the major leagues is returning to play after Tommy John, after uh, stresses and strains, and they're throwing the same way. That tells me nobody's going back to the scene of the crime and uncovering the clues and then cleaning up the whole scene again. And that's actually what has to happen. It's the way I want to see the major leagues uh start to think about things and what this does is it's a win-win for everyone. The guy the team gets their pitcher back and the pitcher stays in one piece mentally, emotionally and physically. And I believe this day is coming. I don't know when it's going to happen, but this is these are the recommendations that I would make to any major league team when they had a pitcher go down and I'm hoping with Andrew they do this because he's he's uh, this issue is uh, a simple one to fix. And we'll just hope that in the process, he doesn't get more damaged.
0: I'm so glad that you, that you said all this, because what, what was just going through my mind is that they did do an MRI. And one of the things that the MRI showed was that his UCL was fine. And, that, and I see this over and over and over again at the major league level. These pitchers have a forearm strain and they they go in and they do an MRI of the elbow and they find out that the UCL is clean there's there's no damage to it and then the team goes okay everything's fine no worries He's, the the UCL's fine so we just have to let him you know rest and and let the, the injury calm down and put him back on the mound no problem but in fact if if there's a forearm strain and, and there's pain in there then eventually that will get to the UCL and because and, and unless Nothing is fixed. Then there will eventually be an injury. And, and you know what bothers me in this particular place? Heaney is a, a young guy. He's trying to make his thing in, in the major leagues this year as a 24-year-old. He's you know the number two starter. He will probably you know feel a little better in a, in a few weeks. He'll go back on the mound. He'll start having that issue again, and he might just try to pitch with it for a little while because he doesn't want to get on the disabled list again. I know I know how guys are. They want to compete you know they want to they want to make it in the major leagues and i you know i worry that he's going to say well you know the the mri was clean my ucl's okay i have nothing to worry about and they'll he'll maybe deal with the pain for a while until something even worse happens and so i'm glad that you brought up this whole idea of doing the detective work and finding out why the pain is there in the first place not just treating the pain and and moving on
1: yes and you know joe something important you said and i would want everybody to hear this really clearly The day before UCL blows, it usually was fine. So his UCL was clean today. It doesn't mean that it'll be clean tomorrow if he would decide to pitch through this, which is what you hear. The forearm protects the UCL, the muscles protect the bone, and the bones protect the ligaments. If the muscles are fatigued or they're tight or they're hurting, they're telling you that they can't do their job. And so you're leaving the bone and the ligament wide open and the muscle attaches to the bone. So now the next thing you've got is you've got the ligament being exposed. So this is the worst injury to try to pitch through. Fortunately, it hurts so badly that most pitchers can't pitch through it. But sometimes when you've got your chemistry going, you don't recognize it. And so and you can do more damage. So it shouldn't, the bus should not stop with, okay, good, just like you said, oh, good, the UCL is not involved. So we're cool. No, you're not cool. Because the the little army that is uh, supposed to be lined up to protect the UCL is sleeping right now so that UCL is vulnerable at every moment. So um, this would be one injury I would want Andrew to be completely on top of, completely honest about. But right now I'm sure he's just baffled because he knows what he is, what he actually is, and he knows what's been happening, and he probably can't figure it out. So um, anyway, so that was a good point, Joe.
0: Thanks. So let's, let's hope that he can figure it out and get back on the mound because he has a bright future ahead of him. So – what I want to do now is move on to our teaching moment segment, and usually we take your experiences because you're you're down in the trenches every day working with pitchers. But in this particular episode, I want to talk about one of my issues and have you help me out. You know, I've, I was a Division One pitching coach. I've coached uh, kids at all ages in pitching, and there's there's something that just drives me out of my mind, and it's all of these different kinds of gimmicks and devices and different things that are you know it's it's like one magic bean after another that people are trying to sell you and and it's supposed to like increase your velocity and help you do this or that I, even though i don't know everything about the pitching motion what what i do know is that you you have to just learn the basics first so when i see these crazy contraptions and gadgets that you attach to your body and you attach to your arm or you attach to your feet and i i think gee whiz you know get, get the basics down before you start trying to do all this other stuff, all this crazy stuff. But you know, I, I keep seeing these, these products come out like every other day, there's another product that's pitched to me in one, in one way or another, or I see out and, you know, advertise somewhere. And, and it, it drives me crazy. And what I've been seeing a lot of more recently are, are these devices that kind of are supposed to improve your stride or make you stride longer or, you know, adjust your stride in such a way that it's going to make you throw a better fastball or, and I I will you know we've been talking about this for for a little while and we had some discussion so I wanted you to weigh in on your feeling about some of these stride devices that are purportedly will make you a better pitcher or, or make you throw faster or, or what it, whatever it is that they Think they're going to do?
1: Well, um, I know you've been asking me for a long time to talk about this. And you know, I usually when I get sent things as well, they send me emails, links, websites, and I look and I just shake my head. But I want everyone to understand where I come from, so that they understand my perspective. So even as a strength coach, Before I got involved, when I got my master's and started doing pitching analysis, even as a strength coach, when I was teaching a squat, a deadlift or whatever, and I was excellent at what I did, I always taught everybody exactly what muscles were working, at what part of the motion, and so that they could take control of that movement and have not only perfect technique... But to understand the motion so well from a muscular level that they actually could improve their technique because they were doing things right. For example, if you see someone bench pressing in the gym and he's got huge arms, a small chest, you know he's pushing all with his arms. And he reaches a ceiling with his capabilities because he's not actually using the bigger muscles. You change the technique on somebody like that and all of a sudden they start recruiting their chest and their shoulder muscles differently. And before you know it, their bench is getting bigger. They're putting up better numbers and they're getting finally development in their chest. The pitching motion is no different, nor is running, nor is any other skill where there are muscles producing the motion. And the more information you have about the muscles, the better you can do. So my philosophy is, is that you empower pitchers to understand the pitching motion by teaching them what's actually happening, what shapes their bodies are actually going through. And then when they have that information, they're in the driver's seat and they can control the the motion and also, they do not have a ceiling to their performance. They actually have the ability to get better because now they're using their muscles better. Great athletes have great control over their body. So, if you access that ability and you tell them what's really going on, they're able to improve it. So, of course, for me, with that philosophy, when I work on somebody's stride, the first thing that I do is teach the person where the stride is generated from. It's not coming from the foot and it's not coming from the knee, it's coming from the hip. And the muscles there that produce the motion, when we're in the gym, we actually strengthen those muscles, not in any crazy way, but in a way that you would strengthen the muscle if you were strength training that muscle, whether you were a pitcher or not. So I'm from the school that you have to empower pitchers with information. So when I see things like a little gadget that goes on the floor and you step on it and then you do something and it clicks your ankle over and then that makes you move forward. And I see that to help a kid know how to move forward. And it's working at the level of the ankle with no training and education about what muscle actually moves the body sideways. I don't like that gimmick. I don't think it teaches anybody anything. When I see a gimmick that hooks a big chain on the front leg because somebody said, and I heard a famous pitching coach say this, oh, the front leg is what pulls you down the mound. Well, the front leg's not on the ground. The only leg on the ground is the rear leg. So the rear leg has to generate the stride. So hooking something up to the front leg to pull the pitcher down the mound quickly will be of no value and in in fact cause the pitcher to have to slow down when he lands if he's going too fast. Yesterday, I heard somebody say, and this came from a pitching coach that was pretty famous. uh, This father told me he was instructed to get down to the bottom of the mound as fast as he could. Well, guess what? That is not correct information. Because if he speeds down the mound as fast as he can, guess what? He's running and he's not striding. Uh, The stride is a controlled motion. It has intensity. But when that front foot lands, that has to start transferring energy up through the body. And if you're landing in such a way that you like crashing into the bottom, you're going to be recovering. In other words, decelerating when you should be starting to rotate. So all these gimmicks that have to do with the stride, the first thing I think is it's too bad that nobody knows how the stride is actually created, which for everybody out there, again, the hip abductor is the muscle that not only Uh, creates the stride, but its job is to move the center of mass sideways um, when you're in this plane that a pitcher's in when he strides out. And the beauty of this is if you use that muscle to move, to, to create the stride, all you pitching coaches that you're always saying, stay back, stay back, we want your head back. We don't want your head leaping out. Well, guess what? If you use that muscle the upper body, the head and the shoulder girdle actually stay back and the pelvis moves forward. It's one, That is the way the body is arranged. We, I guess we could call it physics. But by using the correct muscle, you get all the things that you want. So to put something under the foot or a chain around the leg or, or try to create some false speed, shows that there is no knowledge about the stride and it is a pretty ambiguous part of the stride if you don't know anatomy and here again i always say you poor pitching coaches who've been given the job of uh you know figuring out mechanics when you also have to figure out how to make plays and call pitches and everything else bring someone in who knows anatomy and instead of spending money on that spend money on a professional that can say yeah, we know how the strides created. Anybody who's been in school and has analyzed pitching will see the stride is created by this muscle, this muscle lands. I mean, we talk in muscles. And so a good strength coach could take that muscle and connect it to a strength program. And a good person on the mound would just say, now use that muscle to create the stride. And now you've got a pitcher striding out correctly. I don't know what you get when you stand on something that tilts the ankle other than an ankle injury, other than more gray area for the pitcher who's going, I don't even know how to do this. So you might get a feel for a minute that something's happening happening that's good, but it won't, won't be retained because if you're not giving information to an athlete about how they do something, they're not being empowered and if they're not empowered, they probably can't repeat that movement. So to me, when you come up with gimmicks or methods, it's not empowering to the pitcher. Therefore, it can't last. And unfortunately, most of these gimmicks I see, I think are dangerous. I think they could hurt the pitcher. So that's my take on this. these little things that seem to be so popular with the stride and this misnomer that the stride has to happen with more intensity. I mean, you don't come out of the gate going 100 miles an hour. You you start going 100 miles an hour once that front foot lands, but you've got to get to that landing. And you've got to be turned on with intensity in your brain but you have to be able to control that stride and you have to use the back foot connecting to the ground the back foot only the the ground reaction force under the back foot joe is only 30% of the pitcher's body weight that's telling you that he's not like you know he's 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 coming off that leg with connection but the landing is 70 to 80% which means that you've got to go downhill with some power from the back leg but with amazing ability to be stable at the front leg, you can't do that if you go racing down the hill or use some device that throws you off to where you don't feel that energy. So that's my take on this, uh, this gimmick uh, and all the gimmicks for the stride. I would say be careful and learn how to create a stride from the muscles and you'll be amazed what you get
0: thanks for clearing that up that that uh I, I really needed you to do that because i've been it's been driving me out of my mind for years now seeing all these different gadgets and just really quickly, because I know we've talked about this before, but as far as the stride goes also could could you let us know does the stride have to be really long in order to have a lot of velocity?
1: The stride has to be you have to the closer you get to the plate the better off, I mean you want to release the ball as close to the plate as possible but if your stride is so long that it forces you to move backwards because you have to straighten your knee and you can't get over your front leg to release close to the plate then you're losing you're losing velocity because you've got part of your body weight going backward also you're you're jerking your mechanics around at the end. So there's a lot of crazy things about having a long stride, but anybody who's listened to me knows that I say your stride should be as long as you can manage. And managing your stride means that you're placing your leg in such a way that the knee is directly over the ankle, and that as you go forward into your acceleration, that you are able to flex at the, level of the left hip and take your trunk and your arm way out there and deliver the ball. And that is how you're managing a good stride. Anything that's going to be too long, you're not going to be able to get over your front leg. So you might, you know, think, oh, my foot's getting closer to the plate but we want the hand to get closer to the plate and to do that your best way of doing it is getting over your front leg and you can't get over it if it's not stable so no the stride has to be long enough for you to manage you have to know where you're headed you have to understand what your best length is for you to do that and then from there you work with your muscles to produce that remember if you're six foot three you're six foot three You're trying to pretend you're six foot seven or pitching like you're five foot eight. Neither one of those things work. You've got a certain length. You've got to learn to use it. And you've got to learn to use it correctly because guess what? Your muscles that are producing the power they're attached to all those bones. If your leg is only a certain length, by pushing it out and making it assume that it's longer, it's not going to work. The muscles can't work that way. Contractions don't work that way. And again, this is all these are all rules of the mechanics of muscles. So there's an ideal shape for each for the skeleton to be in to produce certain motions, and that's really what we want to do. So, the notion of just making a blanket statement, which is get to the bottom of the mound, get there as fast as you can, which of course speed would create a false length or do this or do that to get to the bottom of the mound. That's incorrect information. And it is it, it might work for some. And that would be coincidental. But it will not, it's not a correct statement. And it isn't a statement that creates understanding of what actually a stride should look like.
0: Thank you for the reminder, because I know a lot of, you know, one of the reasons a lot of people use these stride gadgets is because they're fixated on their stride length and they feel like it needs to be longer than it should be. And I just wanted you to remind everyone as long as we were on that topic. So let's, let's uh, move, move on to our final piece location, location, location. And once again has nothing to do with real estate. What we're talking about is pictures command and I believe that you have a very special tip for us. I think everyone did their homework last week, took their pictures. Let's uh, let's go on to part two of your location segment today.
1: Great. Well, we're still on all the simple stuff, but you have to start with the simple stuff so that you can actually see what's happening so that when you have a pitcher who is having location problems, You actually can have a systematic way that you look at things. And, you know, we first looked at, you know, is he even looking at the target and uh, is he catching the target early enough? And then last week I sent everyone home because it's really important for you to be able to see. And again, everyone, we're talking about a normal for seam release on a normal at a normal release point we're not talking about anybody who's throwing sidearm or in uh, such a low arm position release point that it actually is impossible for the wrist to be behind the ball the way we all know what we mean and what what we want to see in a normal forcing release at a normal release point so I sent everyone home because you want to be able to see at that release if that you know you should have been able to see the ball you should have been able to see if he didn't have a ball in his hand you should have been able to see his palm and his fingers so that is the wrist being behind the ball and that's the way the wrist is able then to actually impart that last bit of velocity but also the way it imparts the movement of the fingers and the downward trajectory of the ball which hopefully is coming through the shoulder muscles into the hand. If you don't have that wrist back there you're going to be affecting spin and you're going to be affecting different ways the ball, the fingers are on the ball so you're going to affect location possibly. So the first thing here as I sent everyone home is to be able to recognize when the ball is correct when the wrist is correctly behind the ball on a forcing uh, pitch. Now why would a wrist not be behind a ball? Well so here's what the next little lesson is for everyone. So, The wrist is controlled by the forearm and the forearm is the rotation part of the arm and it's actually what changes the pitch type. So when a pitcher is throwing a curveball, he does what's called supinate. He supinates his forearm, meaning he's starting to turn his palm up a little. And that rotation is what you're asking him to do at the end of that pitching motion. So the forearm is rotating. And by the way, the joint that controls that rotation on the upper arm, on the upper end is right below the crease of your elbow. And it's on the if your palm is up, it's on the outside of it in that thick mass. There's a little joint under there. No one ever talks about it. It's the radio ulnar joint. It's where the two bones of the lower arm come together. And that's what actually creates the rotation. There's another joint at the lower end by the wrist. When that rotation occurs and you don't want that rotation to occur to occur, you're not going to have the wrist behind the ball because your forearm rotated unnecessarily and that moves the hand. So the rotation of the forearm creates a wrist that's not behind the ball. Another way to say this is the hand position is controlled by the forearm. If you don't move your forearm, you can't change your hand position. So your forearm Position is responsible for what the wrist is doing. So, on a forcing that's thrown correctly with the wrist behind the ball, if you keep watching your pitchers that are doing it right, you'll see that the forearm is in a very specific position. It's the position it's in. If anybody's listening and you're at a desk, just lay your forearm down with your hip palm down. And that's the position of the forearm on a, a forcing release. If that forearm starts to rotate upward and the hand rotates upward, then you're going to not be behind the ball because your wrist and hand just changed. So that's the next thing that's important is to understand what is the forearm doing. So the minute you see a pitcher and you coaches are so good at seeing that release point, when you see and you go, "Whoa, his fingers aren't behind the ball. Next thing, move your eye to his forearm and you will, of course, see that the forearm's rotated. So the next thing we want to understand is what causes the forearm to rotate. And there's a lot of reasons why these things happen. But I want to start with the one simple one. And next week, we'll be talking about another one that is very interesting, that has nothing to do with the upper body. But when the elbow leads, instead of the shoulder delivering the ball, when you have a pitcher who quote unquote, leads with his elbow. When you lead with your elbow, your forearm starts to rotate upward as it does in a curveball. That is an anatomical thing that happens. That's nothing you can control. And if you're trying to control it, if you lead with the elbow and you're trying to control it, you're creating havoc on your forearm and can cause forearm pain. But the real thing that's happening is the forearm starts to rotate so the hand does not stay behind the ball. And the way everybody can do this right now is if you just raise your arm up, you know, with your upper arm next to your shoulder and your forearm and your hand wide open and you've got your fingertips facing the ceiling. So you sort of got your arm up as if you were saying stop to somebody. But your arm is right next to your body. If you just take your elbow and Lead it forward like you're just sticking your elbow forward. You can see it out of the side. You will see that your whole forearm changed its rotation, and you'll see that your palm is starting to face your head. And that's a way that you can understand the problem with leading with the elbow. And what that actually is it's an improper shoulder mechanics problem. And that's a topic we will be covering to try to help you start to solve these problems with location. But leading with the elbow is improper shoulder mechanics because, as you noticed, when you edge your arm up and everyone, when you're not driving, go home and try look in the mirror. When you lead with the elbow, in other words, you stick your elbow out. And this is actually what a quarterback does. A quarterback throws a football this way. His show, you'll notice when you're in the mirror doing this and you put your elbow forward, your shoulder didn't rotate forward at all. And that is incorrect pitching mechanics because first, the shoulder is the bigger joint. Secondly, it's got all these degrees of rotation that are possible, up to 8,000. Why would you not use your shoulder? So if you put the elbow forward before you rotate the shoulder, you will get the elbow out in front of the shoulder. And not only are you eliminating velocity and eliminating the control that the beautiful chest muscle gives you to be able to pull down on the ball, you're also rotating the hand and the forearm. And if that pitcher is leading with the elbow and also trying to get his hand back behind the ball, he's twisting his forearm. And that's another reason for forearm pain. So when you're now looking at location problems and the first thing you look at is what the hand is doing because it's connected to the ball and you see that the wrist is not behind the ball look to see if that pitcher is leading with the elbow most times you will see that you'll see faulty rotation you'll actually notice it and with youth pitchers to all you youth coaches, the ball will have a funny spin on it. The older guys can control it because they're fighting their forearm, but the younger kids can't and they'll have the funniest spin on the ball. So what you wanna do is look to see if that elbow is leading. And if the elbow is leading, that is the level that you start to work at. You don't work with the hand, you don't work with the wrist, you don't work with the forearm. You work with teaching them how to accelerate correctly from the shoulder and not the elbow. And that's how you solve another location problem.
0: Wow, that was that was pretty good. I had I had my hand up and I was I was <laughs> going through the arm motion with you and the whole thing. That's that's a really good one. I, and I imagine that not only would would that help your accuracy and your command, but I imagine that would help you prevent some forearm strains and, and elbow problems as well.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, everyone, you want to remember, show, uh, correct acceleration is simultaneous internal rotation of the shoulder and um, and uh, the elbow extending into uh, the release point. And the elbow and shoulder need to move simultaneously. The sidearm pitcher, he's only moving his elbow out to the side. He's got no internal rotation happening at that release time. He has delayed internal rotation. And the, the these methods where they're teaching pitchers to get the ball near the ear and bring the elbow through the way a quarterback would do. Well, that is not overarm throwing. And when I say overarm, I mean the scientific thing. I don't mean the over 12 o'clock release incorrect method. It's a scientific term for normal baseball pitching It's called overarm or overhand throwing. Not to be confused with underhand, and it's a it's a movement of the shoulder and elbow. So when you don't follow the rules, you get other joints getting involved, like this little elbow joint sticking out there, thinking it's going to control the motion. The shoulder hasn't accelerated, the elbow's going first, now you're throwing a dart, and you're also missing out on the velocity. Now, can some guys throw great this way? Yes. Do they think, oh, this is a cool method because I can throw so hard? Well, guess what? If you're throwing hard that way, think what you could do if you actually used your other carburetors, which really are the ones that go fast. So there's nothing better than efficiency. And when you're having location problems, you always, always, always want to look to the forearm and the wrist to determine if everything's in the right place. And next week, I want to talk about Something that I see is the most common reason why a pitcher would lead with the elbow, and it actually has nothing to do with his elbow. And that's what's going to be fun to talk about that.
0: Yeah, that sounds mysterious. <laughs> I know, so no homework I, this week, I, know right?
1: I want everyone to come back. So go home in the mirror. And for anybody who didn't understand this, just pretend you're going to throw a football and do that in the mirror. And you'll see how your forearm cannot stay in that correct position. It has to rotate because your elbow and the way the elbow and that are uh, you joint work together is that's what they do.
0: All right, great. So that's our homework. We gotta go in front of the mirror and, and throw the football and, and understand that's the wrong way to do it. Okay, <laughs>
1: right. super. Great. Well,
0: I think we covered quite a bit today. I wanna thank everyone again for listening to my conversation with pitching motion expert, Angel Borelli. If you wanna learn more about Angel and her background and how she takes pitchers to the next level, you can visit her website, gymscience.com, G-Y-M-S-C-I-E-N-C-E.com. It's where you can find tons of great free articles on pitching mechanics and injury prevention. As well as Angel's book, Engineering the Pitching Elbow, pretty relevant book considering the topics we were talking today, and it has it's full of strength and conditioning exercises specifically for the elbow, and includes a full program for keeping the arm healthy during the season and also during the offseason. If you want to learn more about me, you can visit FixingPitchers.com. You can hit me up on Twitter at FixingPitchers. And in the meantime, I wish you all a safe and effective performance on the pitching mound.